and welcome to the Simple Joys Podcast. I am your host, Brandi Tillett. Thank you for joining me for the official first podcast and allowing me to bring a little joy your way. Today, I'm going to dive deep into the decision that brought me to starting this podcast. Have you ever had an inspired thought, an idea that keeps coming to you and you hold on to it a little longer than your other thoughts because it requires action and contemplation and dedication? That's how this idea started for me. I have a few favorite podcasters I listen to and enjoy, but I had never even imagined of starting my own until the last couple months. A lot of people know this because in recent years, I've been very honest about it. But in 2014, I was diagnosed with GAD, which stands for Generalized Anxiety Disorder. I struggled with it long before I got the diagnosis until I literally couldn't function anymore. I have had people trickle in asking for help or advice or just what did I do to get through it. Recently has been more and more people coming to me for help or advice, parents of people whose children are struggling with mental disorders. I'm no doctor, just someone willing to be open and talk about what happened to me so they feel less alone. When it dawned on me, as far as we have come as a society with mental health and realizing it is a real issue... We still don't talk about it enough. People are still embarrassed to admit that they have a problem and therefore wait too long to get the help they really need. In turn, they self-medicate, fall off the deep end, or even take their own life. So I thought, how can I talk to more people that just want to hear my story because it's their story too? How do I connect with these people who are living in fear like I was? Then this idea came to me of starting this podcast. And then my husband suggested it another confirmation. Then prayers on the idea and it felt good and right. And then since this idea, I've gotten random texts, phone calls, messages of friends and friends of friends reaching out because they're dealing with something they heard I did and they just want someone to talk to. When I get these little pushes and nudges, especially after praying about it, I personally feel like it's God's way of saying yes. I truly believe passions, desires, inspired thoughts that are so clear and nagging is God trying to tell us something or give us direction. So here I am. I'm about to let you all into my battle with severe anxiety and the steps I took to start living a life I love again, where and how I find joy and stillness and peace of mind and feel feelings, feelings of love and gratitude and lately of whimsy. The pieces of me that I thought I lost forever fill my stomach with little butterflies once more, and I look out in awe and wonder of God's creation. I want that for you too. Looking back, I was always an anxious kid. Now that I'm older and can articulate my feelings back then, my parents can confirm that. I doubted them constantly and don't even know why. They've always provided for my sisters and I. They've always been Christ followers and very involved in the church. They have never left me stranded or put me into a bad situation. I just feared every situation. Are we in the right movie theater? Are you sure, Dad? I think it's the wrong movie. If we'd go hiking, I'd ask, are we lost? Are you sure? I would question if they knew where they were going all the time. If they knew where they're going on a road trip, I questioned everything. I was nervous about everything. When the right movie came on or we made it back to camp, there was so much relief. Then when I was 12, something happened that was out of their control. It's hard for me to talk about today, and that is because of this illness Doctors and pretty much anything medical related is still a trigger for me. 
In fact, right now, the fact that I'm going to talk about it is giving me a bit of anxiety. And if you don't know what a trigger is, it's a subject or topic or object that ignites your panic or anxiety. I was homeschooled for most of my grade school career. When I was 12, my parents put me in public middle school for a brief time while building their home. It was the first time I had ever run the mile, and after one lap around the football field, I was buckling over unable to breathe. My PE teacher encouraged my mom to take me into the doctor right away. My mom took me in that day. They took some tests and x-rays confirming that I did have exercise-induced asthma. But what my mom didn't expect was a phone call around 9 p.m. at night, and I'll never forget it. A couple days after the visit to my doctor's, my mom got that dreaded phone call later than normal business hours. She was quiet, reserved, and tried to hide her concern, but it was obvious as I watched that she was troubled. I kept asking her what was wrong, and she assured me that everything was fine, but I could tell it wasn't. After a couple days of seeing my parents find time to be alone and whisper with each other and other adults, she sat me down at my grandma's house and did the hardest thing a mom could do, tell me the truth that the x-ray technician found something wrong with my heart. I didn't understand a lot at that time, but I knew it wasn't good news. I remember asking her, am I going to die? And she told me the truth, which was that she didn't know. They believed it was a rare condition in which some kids my age did. And she told me that we believed in a God who was capable of miracles. I was terrified. What was the point of going to school and hanging out with my friends? This diagnosis consumed my thoughts. I was scheduled to see a world-renowned heart surgeon at Valley Children's in Madeira, but he couldn't see me until after Christmas. I became concerned with that because as a kid, I loved and looked forward to Christmas, but how could I enjoy it? At the time, we were visiting another church closer to our new home. My mom and I decided to go just the two of us one Sunday morning, and we sat in the very last pew, and the sermon that morning just happened to be on healing. We kept glancing at each other like, well, this is a coincidence. At the end of his sermon, the pastor offered a prayer of healing for anyone in the congregation. My mom held my hand and we bowed our heads together and we both felt something that to this day I just can't describe. I think back to this day often and the power of prayer. Later that night, my parents had my grandparents over for a bonfire. My grandma Margie always had a calming presence in the way that she spoke about life and everything being all right. And we were having a great time and she was making me feel better, making me laugh. Then... I looked up at the sky and saw the biggest shooting star I'd ever seen. Instead of making a wish, I prayed. I prayed that my appointment would be moved up just before Christmas, like any kid would, which is funny. I didn't pray to be healed. I just prayed that I would get to see the doctor sooner. I wanted answers, and I know that my parents did too. I feel like this was a huge concern for a 12-year-old. The next thing that happened still amazes me to this very day. Minutes later, the phone rings, and it was Valley Children's Hospital. They had a new opening in November. This phone call came late at night. Again, way after normal business hours. I cried and told my mom I saw that star and prayed for this. And she said she prayed for the exact same thing. And looking back, I think my prayer was already answered. I think I knew in my heart that I was healed and that because of my faith, things were already happening. And it was just on my heart that I was anxious to confirm that I was okay. And I was. The surgeon saw me and after a series of tests could not confirm what the doctors in the previous office had saw in the x-rays. We left the hospital feeling so relieved. All of us. My mom, dad, and me. On the way home, they stopped at a local Christian store and bought me a Jackie Velasquez tape. Yes, tape. 
We put this experience in the past, but little did I know the trauma from this experience would haunt me over a decade later. Early to mid-20s, that's when mental illness starts to rear its head for many women. I lived a decent teenage life, not too many complaints. I did a lot of singing competitions, local and national. I traveled with my family. We went on road trips, Disneyland trips, camping. But then I had to graduate high school and get a job. I wasn't cut out for college, I had thought. I just needed to find a new job until my now husband married me. We would have babies and I would stay home with the kids. I had many jobs I hated in between and relied on a fantasy for my happiness. That's a long story short, I may say for the sake of another episode. Fast forward, I got into a good place where I didn't rely on my boyfriend for my happiness and decided to go back to school because I was capable And what do you know? Things started to turn around. When I was 23, my boyfriend Michael proposed and I was on my way to my happily ever after. Fast forward to the stress of wedding planning. Who knew what weddings bring out of yourself and others, especially when you're a perfectionist and someone who cares way too much what people think. From the small details to money to trying to keep my bridesmaids happy with all the different ages and personalities, I was getting literally sick. I developed GERD, which is a form of acid reflux, and couldn't keep my food down at all. One night, I was throwing up all night and into the next day, weak, and weighing at 92 pounds, which is the lowest I've ever weighed in my teenage adult life ever, my mom took me to the ER, and they did blood work. Suggested I had a virus, but the nurse practitioner had noticed my white blood cell count was pretty suspicious. She said, pretty low. Me asking, okay, well, what does that mean? Her response, we aren't sure, but it could mean you have leukemia. Saying these words again takes me back to that moment. I tunnel vision and stared at my beautiful engagement ring. What was supposed to be the happiest time in my life had now turned into the scariest. She tried backtracking, saying that, of course, it would require tons of blood work and that it could be the other things, too, and that I may just need more vitamins and nutrients, but that was it for me. I was terrified. I clutched my discharge paperwork and called my fiancé, who is now my husband, Michael, and I told him what the nurse practitioner had said. He was a student in the nursing program at that time and was only months away from graduating. He reassured me that she had no authority to say what she did without having any evidence at all, and I knew he was right. He came over and read my paperwork, He came to so many reasonable explanations other than leukemia. Why she said leukemia, I have no idea. It made sense to medical professionals and medical students, sure, but my fiancé wasn't a doctor. He didn't know what she knew. Nothing he could say could clear my mind from this dreaded doom and fake diagnosis. Terrified to go back to the doctor, I waited over a month to get my blood drawn. Teary-eyed, I brought my paperwork to a local urgent care. The doctor on call was so great with me. Upset with the nurse practitioner that night, he basically echoed what my fiancé said, not understand why she would pick the worst-case scenario out of, in his words, hundreds of possibilities without blood work. I got my blood work redone and found out a couple days later that my white blood count was back to normal as he and my fiancé thought they would be. Going back to that day when I was 12 years old, without even realizing it, I cried with relief, sat on my parents' front porch and celebrated with a glass of wine. I was okay. Until doubt and fear returned for really no good reason. 
Although I had a clean bill of health, my mind started to race. Well, what if they're wrong? Then doubting my clean health started turning into me questioning every muscle twitch, pain, and headache. I started associating everything to the possibility that I had a horrible disease. The thoughts were always in the back of my head. As newlyweds, my confused husband was wondering who the heck he was married to, I'm sure. This ball of anxiety that frustrated him. He was an ICU nurse. He had a young, healthy wife, and he had to constantly reassure me that I was well, but I didn't believe him. Too afraid to go to the doctor, I let my paranoia and anxiety get to a point where I would crumple on the couch and just cry. Knowing I had all these diseases, whatever I thought it was at the time, it was insane. I really believed it with all my heart, too. Cancer, brain tumor, ALS, MS, I thought I had it all. Panicked at all times and so in tune with my heart beating, feeling every twitch. I even got to a point where I could feel my body vibrating to the beat of my own heart. In addition to fearing everything that could be physically wrong with me, I was paranoid about others always thinking they were intentionally trying to hurt my feelings or they were talking behind my back that every Facebook post or quote was a subliminal message to me. Now looking back, my attitude is like, who even cares about that stuff? But then it literally consumed me. Literally all of my thoughts were negative and I felt like I was in a constant state of fight or flight. Oftentimes, never wanting to be alone or go anywhere all in the same time. This is really hard to admit because in the grand scheme of things, it really was all in my head, but it was so real to me at the time. I had gone from an adventurous, fun, loving young woman to a ball of paranoia and fear. My mom and dad had patience with me. Only parents could. My new husband worked nights, so to make matters worse, I was alone at night with my thoughts. I can't count how many times I called my mom in the middle of the night in a panic, afraid to be alone with my crippling thoughts. She would come and talk to me and stay over. For a long time, and probably even still, people don't know how dark my mind was. I was constantly living in fear and panic. There was nothing wrong with me from the outside, but now I know I was mentally ill. And that is the problem with mental illness, anxiety, and depression. People look okay. So what's their problem? With a lot of intervention and trips to the doctor, one doctor had actually recommended I go to Stanford. Stanford called me immediately to set up an appointment. I literally could not handle the fear of that hospital and the tests they might run and begged my husband to find me a therapist here first, and then I would go. He agreed and found me a psychologist close to town. They fit me in immediately. The first couple appointments, my husband came with me. We are both so glad he did. She was able to help him realize that I wasn't crazy, that there were some actual chemical imbalances happening, and what he could do to help me. After that, my dad started coming with me. I found out that he has been on anxiety medicine for years. It wasn't something he talked about. I never even knew. But instantly, I was relieved because things started making sense. I wasn't alone. In a way, this came from somewhere. My psychologist deemed me not well enough to have success with holistic or natural coping mechanisms, so she sent an order in to put me on a low dose of Zofran. Within a week, I started noticing a huge difference. I was calmer, and I was going to be okay. With each session, I learned more and more about my thoughts. I actually was able to face them, when before I would have just broke down in a panic attack. 
For over three straight months, I was going to therapy. She dug into things I didn't even know had helped create these panic attacks and triggers. One of those being the trauma from when I was 12 years old and the experience of believing for months I had a possible terminal heart condition. I had blocked it out of my mind for so long that I had even forgotten I went through all of that, to be honest. At the end, she hugged me and said I was well enough to stop therapy. I didn't even fear those imaginary diagnoses anymore. I was less paranoid about what others thought of me, and I felt so much more free. For over a year, I reveled in the fact that I believed I was a healthy 26-year-old woman. We traveled, we camped, we had so much fun. We decided to start our family. I tapered off of my meds and I was still okay. Even when small fears crept up, I was able to practice calming mechanisms I had learned in therapy. In 2016, we had our beautiful baby boy, Easton. Hours after, they had not brought him back from his bath. I knew something wasn't right. They finally wheeled him in on a miniature gurney and told me that he wasn't breathing well and they weren't sure what was going on and they couldn't assure me that he was going to be okay. There I was again, brought back to the same fear and panic 12-year-old and 24-year-old Brandy had experienced. Except for this time, it was my new whole entire world. My heart outside of my own body. My new reason for existing. My precious, innocent baby boy. He spent five days in the NICU for pneumonia. He was okay. Everything was okay, but I wasn't. Unable to recognize the path, I started slipping into my old habits again. After a horrible bout of baby blues, I started finding what I thought were lumps in my breasts that were actually related to breastfeeding. Worrying again about me, about him, and about everything, even people around me, so insecure and who I was, and whether or not people like me or were just always trying to hurt my feelings, I knew this process and it was starting all over again. This time, I decided to take matters into my own hands. I started researching the power of positive thoughts and prayer. For me, it helped me align my thoughts. I started to focus on meditation and yoga and breathing and being in God's presence instead of finding devotionals on anxiety or devotionals about fear or devotionals about depression. And I started reading devotionals about joy, happiness, and peace. The results were just as good as the medicine I had previously been on. I had forgotten in my time away from the church, the power of God and the power of faith and praying on my knees and was able to rediscover that again through prayer and even research. The Bible verses I had never noticed before and their meaning how we ought to live our lives. As I started to heal my body again, thanks to more therapy at my college at the time, I started to delve into purpose, questioning what I was doing and praying for God's will in my life. There is just something so comforting about that. I think some of us, when we lose touch with our faith, we search so hard trying to find what will make us happy, and it's connected to worldly things like money and greed, popularity, and success. When we trust in God to take care of our needs and ask Him to direct us, there's this confidence in our Father and knowing He will provide, and He has. In addition, I'm learning to let go of my own expectations and the expectations of others. I worry less about what others think. Learning how to say no, learning how to let go of toxic relationships, and finding healthy ways to be okay with that. I used to be a people pleaser. Now I want to honor God and my family. That is what's most important. 
Of course, I still have my moments where I need reassurance. I know how to talk to my husband and family now, too. I'll say things like, hey, I'm having these irrational thoughts. I need to say them out loud and make sure they are irrational. Therapy has taught me things like that. I have realized that being spiritually well is just as good medicine. I'm not against medicine. I believe I needed it when I did. I believe that God uses many ways to heal us. This is a long story short to me. This journey has lasted my entire 20s, a whole decade, and I'm still learning. I have this freedom now, the spirit of joy and wonder and presentness that I haven't experienced in such a long time. I get excited about things again. I feel. Feeling things other than fear and dread. I feel happy. I feel calm. I feel peace. I feel sadness and anger too, but I am free to feel those things. And I can attribute this to these things. Seeking medical help, taking care of your fears, no matter how rational they are, practicing positive thoughts and getting in touch with my spirituality. I still may worry more than the average person, and I'm kind of an anxious mommy, but I know how to deal with it better. I'm at peace with this being the thing I may always have to work on. But besides that, life is good. God forget I get into a place again where I can't leave my couch crippled in fear. I know what I need to do. I know the steps to take and a lot quicker than the last time. So if you're suffering from extreme anxiety or depression as I was, please get help. I recommend medical help. I recommend finding someone you can trust to share your most irrational thoughts with, and I recommend getting in touch with your thoughts, recognizing if they're positive or negative, and if they are negative, then think about things that make you happy. Focus on your circle of friends and family. Do they gossip and speak negatively to you or about yourself and others? You get to choose what to put in your ears and mind. It's hard, but you have to distance yourself from those negative things. Make time for meditation and prayer. There is nothing more powerful than getting on your knees and praying to your father. There is something intentional about it, and it's not just a thought. It's an action. Thoughts are not prayers. Praying is intentional. My advice, pray that God gives you direction and helps you see goodness. He has equipped us with the power of thought to literally change our lives around. Use it. And remember that you are not crazy. Mental illness is as real as diabetes and cancer. You're not alone. So at this point, I feel like I'm rambling on a little bit, but I'm so excited to continue this next week because we have our first guest. My methods are not a one-size-fits-all. So if you want an opportunity to hear from a professional, please join us next week for an episode I feel will give you more insight and clarification on mental health. And if you've liked this first episode, please let me know in the comments and rate it. And while it might be too soon for that, I would just love to hear feedback and love to hear any other suggestions that you have as far as podcast episodes go. While this first episode was a little bit on the dark side, I hope that you saw the possibility of joy in it. Not every one of my episodes is going to be about subjects like anxiety and depression and things like that. But each episode, hopefully, will bring a little bit of joy into your life or give you hope that you can create joy. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my story. 
And I hope that it blesses you. Or if you know someone else who could really hear this message today, just share it with them. And I hope it blesses them too.